the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, a special treat for us. In a few moments, we will speak with my old friend, uh, Stephen Baskerville. He is a professor, longtime professor, um, an author, written a number of books. Um, very, how to say, dense writer slash thinker. And what he has especially talked about is the impact of welfare and our welfare state on families and on relationships and on minorities, especially black households and all. Very thought, well, he's got a piece up that basically asserts that the deep state and the idea of a bureaucratic class of intelligence uh, community officials trying to control us, he says is derivative or at least is imitation, an imitation of the welfare state that started in the 1960s, especially, and accelerated in the 70s. Anyway, very thoughtful piece. We're going to talk with him, uh, and we'll see what he has to say. He always has a wide-ranging uh, conversation. So that's in a few moments. Hey, welcome to the, excuse me, the Pro-America Report. Welcome to the show. I'm Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. Thank you for tuning in. Head over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email, which is called the Daily Wink. What you need to know goes out 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific time. A few links, a few uh, winks, and a few pieces of information. But what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, wink, uh, is in there. It's the Daily Wink, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up. And this segment is, in fact, called The Wink. Today's segment is on election interference. Election interference. Now, there is a problem in the current state of American election law, where anybody, including corporations, can spend infinite amounts of money on what's called third-party expenditures. And so let's say that you are running for Congress and your friend's dad is a billionaire and he wants to support you. He can write a check, start a super PAC, no one will ever know, and he can support you. And the problem with this is that no one will ever know. And the problem with this is even though you say, well, big business is probably going to do that. The truth is that who really does it the most is big government and the big left. Planned Parenthood gets 670 plus billion dollars, excuse me, million dollars uh, from the uh, government. And then they spend lots of money on campaigns, right? That's a, so it's a, a money laundering scheme is what happens when you go forward. So, the problem with dark, so-called dark money is you can't trace it. And the problem is, like a lot of things, that the conservatives and the Republicans, the more conservatives think, well, we can do it too. We'll all do it. But they don't. Because, again, two reasons. One, the left knows if they can get more power, they'll get more money. So they go ahead and do that. And then the second is they get more money. Meaning it's a worthy investment on the left. The billionaires say, oh, good. If I do this, I'm going to get control. I'm going to get influence. And then actually when they get in office, they have a slush fund of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars in the White House that's being administered by John Podesta. So if you spent money 
publicly on an election, it would be maybe it wouldn't be known. But if you did, let's say you announced it. Let's say you announced that you're going to spend a million dollars and you're going to support X candidate. You, you, you would have to declare that. And if you didn't, if you were sneaky about it, you would either run into problems or you'd at least run into questions. What happens? And there would be an argument at a certain point that you're inter- people are interfering with elections, interfering with elections. What happens when the government of the United States is used to interfere in elections? In 2020, there has been, there has been wide cover, widespread coverage of the fortification of the election by hundreds of millions of dollars by Zuckerberg, which went to nonprofits and money that went from governments to uh, nonprofits and money that was used in different ways to fortify the election. That's the left's term for it, the Democrats term for it, meaning ballot harvesting and other things. Now, perhaps it wasn't illegal, might not have been, might not have been, might have been. We don't really know. We haven't gotten to the bottom of much of it. But it's certainly they've admitted that they were fortifying the election in favor of their candidate. What makes you think that if they would do that, that they would stop at election interference through the use of the Department of Justice? Because now the talk is that they're going to indict President Donald Trump, the leading candidate for president, a declared candidate, federally registered Obviously running, not someone who's saying like, oh, I might run tomorrow. I'll die. Chris Christie, I'm a, I'll run and nobody thinks he can win. It's the leading candidate. It's a candidate that's leading in all the polls, candidate that's leading in polls head to head with the current president. And the legal system is clearly interfering with the election. Now, I will agree. Perhaps it's not illegal, which is to say if if Jack Smith, the prosecutor, goes before a grand jury in D.C., he can indict a ham sandwich. That's the old joke, but it's really true. He can especially indict a ham sandwich if the name is Donald Trump in D.C. right now, in part because of lack of due process on other fronts, the select committee uh, uh, that uh, Liz Cheney headed up, etc. But the reality is it is election interference. It doesn't have to be illegal formally to be election interference. And there should be an FEC complaint filed against either the Biden campaign or maybe specifically against Jack Smith for interfering in the election. This is not a benign exercise. It's not a coincidence. It's not even close. It's a targeted effort to go after Donald Trump and damage his campaign. Now, I actually think it won't damage his campaign in the sense that it'll probably enhance the nomination, uh, prospects of the nomination in the primary. But don't be fooled. If you're indicted in, in New York on, on flimsy, flimsy fake charges, if, which is what happened a few months ago, if you're indicted in, in Washington, D.C., if you're indicted in Georgia, and all of it is political targeting, election interference, it does stick. People that say negative campaigning doesn't work don't know campaigns. And it doesn't matter if the negative campaigning is a lie. It has an impact, and that's what they're doing. This is breathtaking stuff. This is actually, when people say this, a lot of times they're being silly. When someone goes on CNN and says, this is worse than Watergate, or when someone says the following sentence, I'm going to say, usually you can say, oh, they're just being a little dramatic. But in this case, it's really true. This is the stuff of banana republics. 
of nations that just simply use the law against political opponents. They don't even pretend not to. They put them in jail. And if this is what we become, what we've become, it doesn't lead somewhere good. If this becomes the precedent, it's not only about taking out Trump, but it is about taking out Trump. It's about the system is going to break down. It's a terrible idea. It's a dastardly thing to do. It's very anti-American. Now, next week, I think it's on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm going to testify before a congressional committee on the January 6th stuff. And one of the things I'm going to say is that the the efforts of the select committee of Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson, which spent $19 million doing TV uh, uh, infomercials for the position that they had, which was that everybody was an insurrectionist, and they did not get to the bottom of the pipe bomber. They did not get to the bottom of the many, many federal agents that were at, at January 6th. They didn't get to the bottom of anything. They simply went and did an infomercial of nearly $20 million worth to poison the jury pool, to poison the the, the judicial, uh, the judges in the cases, to embolden the the uh, uh, prosecutors, and that's not election interference. That's a that's a that's a denial of due process. That's a damaging of the election system. Excuse me, of the judicial system, of the justice system, and that is also deeply anti-American, profoundly anti-American, using Congress to influence the judiciary and the judicial process and deny due process, again, dastardly, dastardly anti-American conduct. Again, is it illegal? It's probably not illegal for one of the constitutionally distinct branches of government, the legislative in this case, the U.S. House, one at one chamber of the U.S. Congress, to act in a absolutely despicable way. I'm not sure what the law that's broken is. I know it's unconstitutional. So maybe I should say it's extra, extra legal, extra constitutional. But is it prosecutable? Probably not. There's lots of protection for men and women in Congress when they're in Congress. They can say stupid things. They can actually say horrendous things. They can even, I think they can even commit like violence against each other and can't be charged. I don't know. That's not true. I don't know if the guy that there was a congressman that got that hits the other one with a stick years ago. I don't know. But the reality is it's deeply, deeply un-American and a threat. And that's the same thing as the election interference that they're doing to Donald Trump. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Stephen Baskerville, Dr. Baskerville. Right after break, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, it's been a while since we had him on, Dr. Stephen Baskerville. We were just talking off the air. He has taught literally all over the world. He's a professor and uh, he's written books. And now he's over at uh, on Substack, which is really uh, good. His, his uh, Substack is stephenbaskerville.substack.com. Uh, the description, which is a fantastic one, says unconventional perspectives on politics, history, religion, law, sex and higher education. Uh, for better or worse, what you read here is definitely outside the box. And perhaps this is the best part. And Stephen Baskerville has done this his whole career uh, outside your comfort zone. So uh, welcome uh, back, Dr. Stephen Baskerville. How are you, sir? Well, thank you. It's good to be back with you. 
I was drawn to the title of your Substack, um, and I knew I know because you're a, a prolific writer and a, and have written uh, books as well as uh, numerous numerous columns and all that you know how to catch someone's attention uh, when you when you do that. So the uh, the title of the Substack is the origins of the deep state, not what you might think. So first of all, let's go to the premise here. What do most people think of the deep state? When you say that, you're setting up something you're going to explain. But the first part is, how do you how do you see and sense that people can think about this question of the deep state and what it means? Well, in the broadest sense, I think most people think of it as the as a you know highly intense bureaucratic government that is very invasive and that you know is increasingly taking control of our private lives. And normally we think, of course, of, of the, you know, the obvious villains, the, you know, the rogue intelligence agencies, the law enforcement, um, the, you know, the, the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, these kinds of things, which are admittedly, it's true. I, I don't doubt for a minute they are, they're extremely powerful. Um, but I think but actually we've lived with certain aspects of the deep state for a long time, for too long. We've allowed certain sectors of our population to be uh, governed by it, to be controlled, uh, including their private lives. And now we're kind of come having to come to, to grips with that. We're talking again with Dr. Stephen Baskerville and, and the two books that are, I can see on my bookshelf right here in front of me, Dr. Baskerville, the one that I think is the newer one, A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex and Ruling the World, How to Survive as a Man in the Age of Misandry and Do So with Grace. Um, I have that actually. I'm looking at the cover of it. We're printed out. I think I might have that on Kindle. That's why. But the other one I can see on the shelf is The New Politics of Sex, The Sexual Revolution, Civil Liberties and the Growth of Governmental Power uh, from a few years ago now. That one really really is to me I, I i go back to it periodically um the the it really gets to the heart of it and 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 by the way the subtitle of that one uh where is it where's the um uh is worth again worth your weight in gold but back to the um the the um the sexual revolution civil liberties and the the growth of governmental power okay so so uh, Dr. Baskerville, what is the deep state then? And more importantly, you said we've been living with it all too long. Is there any real way we can get rid of it? I think the best way is that we need to go back to the origins. And the origins of it are, I argue, the origins of it are in the welfare state. Because the welfare state was the first time that we allowed um government officials, functionaries, to take control of the private lives of millions, tens of millions of non-criminal citizens. Okay. In other words, we allowed the poor, the lives of the poor, their family lives of the poor, the children of the poor, to be to be run by this wealth, this semi-socialist welfare state. And uh, we closed our eyes to this for a long time, we in the affluent parts of America, and we allowed this to happen. And it has, um, it has degraded Blacks uh, especially minority communities, uh, low-income communities, black community in particular, and it is especially degraded black men. And we now see the fruits of this. Look at how much of the current crisis of the last three years um, originated, really took off with things like the George Floyd death, uh, and uh, more recently the the, the man in um, in Memphis, the young uh, black man who died at Memphis um, at the hands of police. Uh, and we, you know, we, the left comes out with all this language, racism, capitalism, you know, the, the usual, um, usual cliches that the left. Uh, but unfortunately, the conservative, the right doesn't come up, doesn't have very good answers to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say it's not the police. They say it's not racism. It's not this and it's not that. 
But the right needs to go back and look at some of the its own sins. And one of those is allowing the degradation of the black family through the welfare state. And later on, you know, the, the spread to the, to, the, to the other families. And, you know, Daniel Patrick Moynihan warned about this back in 1965. He said, if you allow this, you're, ask, you're asking for chaos. And it was a lot less uh, severe in those days than it is now. So, um, you know, this is what we, we ignored, Moynihan and others. And the Republican Party for years, the Repub- as Phyllis Schlafly points out, the Republican Party for years, um, the, the reform or the abolition of the welfare state was one of its highest priorities. But then starting around the 1990s, we started forgetting about it. We just let it go. And, uh, and that, that the result is the chaos that we have today. So I argue that the welfare state was the model. It was the blueprint. And the rogue intelligence agencies, the military, the police, and the others have looked at the welfare state and they imitated it. And um, mm. in future articles, I'm going to I'm going to show how that happened. Uh, Stephen Baskerville is our, our guest. Dr. Baskerville is a professor right now at the Collegium Intermarium in Warsaw in Poland. He's also the president of the Inter-American Institute for Philosophy, Politics and Social Thought with Think Tank. Um, he had a long time, more than a decade, I think he was over at uh, Patrick Henry College and has written, as I mentioned, a number of books. I'll put him up on social media. Again, his Substack is the topic of our discussion right now, the origins of the, of the deep state. Um you mentioned the slide uh, away from welfare, um, well, uh, eliminating welfare or welfare reform, I guess, in the 90s. You had Gingrich and, the, and those Republicans talking about welfare reform, welfare to work. Um, but I, I, I know you and I know your reading. Uh, I mean, I know my reading of you. Um, you're not going to reform this system, right? This is a rotten system or it's a it's a it's not a it's not a poorly run system. It's a flawed system that destroys the society, right? That's one of the problems. Once you get trapped in a, can we make it better? Can we make it better? People end up starting to give up on that and they, they just stop talking about it completely. Exactly. Yes, that's right. It, it, it is no longer a, a system that can be reformed. If it ever had a justification back in the thirties, you know, to help out families where the men had been killed or, or laid off, that's one thing, but it, it's long since outlived its usefulness. And today it's a very dangerous thing. A quote from the uh, uh, the uh, Stephen Baskerville Substack again, and I'll put up a link up. Quote here's was he said. Quote: If the deep state is defined as powerful people using impersonal bureaucracies to control people's lives, then the deep state originated in how we manage the basic problem of modern industrial society, the problem of the poor. So now back to this question, you know, if you want to fix it, first of all, well, let me, before I go back to my question, the, 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 the first question, you, you didn't see the welfare, this, this, um, uh, the problem of the poor and the welfare state, the new deal kind of instinct. It didn't stop at federal efforts, right? I mean, there are many, many state efforts and local efforts and you see sort of the, the sort of acceleration of the crumbling of society, go to a city and you'll see it at, 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 so you're not, it's not just a federal problem anymore right it's a it's a now a, a at every level of of uh, of american living it, it's a problem oh absolutely yes and in fact it was it was largely the welfare system that allowed the um, federal government to sink its talons to sink its you know its claws into local government to colonize if you like state and local government and turn them into basically auxiliaries of of the federal government that's right uh is the is the um are there places where they took this step 
and they pulled back. I mean, I know you're, you've traveled all over Europe and, and, and uh, Western and Eastern Europe and, you know, places like Hungary has lots of laws that incentivize families and all. But are there places that took a step down the welfare path and then pulled back successfully? Or is this sort of a, a slide that is uh, unlikely to be uh, to be, you know, stopped? Yes, I think it's the latter. It's, it's, it's unlikely to be stopped. The Americans were very much at the forefront of this because the American welfare state was this, you know, this idea of a safety net that was limited to the poor. Um, so this trend to create an underclass, an underclass of poor people, fatherless children, single mothers, you know, um, criminalized fathers. This was very much the Americans were on the cutting edge of this. Now, this is happening in Europe also. It's, it's, right. but it's happening more slowly. Um, and the Americans really pioneered this, this this underclass of people, of poor people manipulated and used by the functionaries, by the, you know, the civil servants who run the welfare state. And this is what is the, the stage we are coming to now, because if you look back a few years, back to before the 90s, welfare was disliked by everybody. Right. Uh, conservatives didn't like it for obvious reasons. Liberals said it was, you know, some unnecessary evil for now. But, you know, we don't like it either. We think the poor should be you know, working and self-sufficient. Even the Marxists hated welfare. They called it, you know, a, a, an insidious weapon of capitalism to you know, buy off the working class and, and, and dampen their revolutionary fervor. So everybody made a pact with the devil. Everybody was against welfare. Everybody thought it should be done away with as quickly as possible. And my argument is what, what rejuvenated it? What happened to this anti-welfare consensus? Why don't we even talk about welfare reform anymore? You know, after the, the right. perfunctory reforms of the Clinton administration, which really made the problem worse. And my argument is that the functionaries themselves, especially with the, the new ideology was radical feminism, as again, as Phyllis kind of predicted, um, the, the feminists were the ones that turned the welfare machinery into a positive good. And, and used it as an instrument of sexual liberation and extolled and eulogized single motherhood and made it to be a positive for everybody else. Single motherhood was, a, you know, a, a, you know, the man in the house rule and all this. Everybody thought it was a bad thing. But the feminists turned this into a positive good thing because it empowered some women, feminist women, and yeah. it um, it promoted sexual liberation. So they they turned single motherhood into a, into a good for its own sake. Uh, and this was this was what, uh, you know, turn. And if you look at the since then, since the 90s, the welfare system has spread. I cite articles where it show that the military has turned into a giant welfare system. Um, Elaine Donnelly talks about this a lot. Yeah. At the yeah. Center for um, the Center for Military Readiness. Yeah. She talks about how it's become a magnet for single mothers, how huge amounts of money that should be going for, for military defense are going for you know abortions and uh, for um, you know for 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 single parent homes and things it's just amazing so uh, Dr. Stephen Baskerville, again, is our guest. Is that is that? But I was going to ask you in this sense, if you if you look at uh, if you change the word from welfare, which I know you have a very specific um, uh, expertise in and, and observ- observations about, but change the word from welfare to, you know, government uh, handout. I mean, it's a bit crass, but, you, you know, and you say, OK, well, we got Social Security, we got Medicare, we got Medicaid, we got welfare, we got TANF, we go bum, 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 bum. By the time you're done, we, we're now talking about and each of those groups, uh, excuse me, each of those uh, initiatives 
ends up creating a set of bureaucrats around them. And we haven't even touched on the bureaucrats created with, say, um, family courts, we know, but you can say the same sets of bureaucrats, in this case, legal minded bureaucrats who are set up on the disability, uh, you know, uh, 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 I was going to say junket uh, docket uh, or uh, on the uh, on these other. So, I mean, you're talking really about uh, uh, the problem is so big. Is this a problem of an endpoint of sort of communism and socialism, or is it a, a corruption just of 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 greed in general? What's your what's your thoughts on that? It's basically what I call the iron law of Washington, and the iron law of Washington is basically that you know when you start paying people to solve problems then you immediately give them an incentive to to create more of the problems that they're supposed to be solving. Right. And um, you know, this is what you this is what you see in Washington. It's not limited to, you know, bureaucrats, by the way. You know, it's it's not even limited to liberals. You know, there's, there's yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, all, all of us, I, I include myself to some extent, if you're paid, if you're part of the Washington political class and you're paid to de- deal with these things, you know, you, you it's not it's, you're something more than just a simple citizen. And um, yeah, it, that, that's what's problem. It, it's and it's it's reached the point. Right? It's government creating problems for itself to solve, making problems for itself uh, to to solve. And uh, this is what the welfare system has always done. The actual expenditures we make for the welfare, the handouts, as you say, the payments, the people, those are actually well, they're huge, but they're relatively small. What's really big uh, connected with welfare is the social pathologies it creates. I mean, it turns children into addicts, into dropouts, into delinquents, into criminals, into uh, prostitutes, and you know, it, it it demands a huge budget for things like law enforcement, incarceration, health, education, uh, all of these things. Are, are have these this massive domestic budget is devoted almost entirely to social ills that are created by the welfare system and and uh, as you say additional um, you know systems of quasi welfare um, you know. Uh, so, yeah. so surrounding them surround uh dr stephen baskerville again is our guest and uh his 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 own website is stephen com. if you want to go there and see a lot of his different writings and background on that again uh back to a question earlier what's the best hope forward i mean you know okay if you could go back a thousand years were there what would you say well you know what you need is a good old-fashioned routing you know your your enemies will come and route your city and then you'll start again i mean you know or or you know i don't we don't want to be conquered obviously but what is that what's the best path forward i you know uh, technology i it doesn't look like technology is moving us in a direction where it addresses any of this in a meaningful way it goes the opposite way perhaps but you know do you have a do you have sets of scenarios of what to do and or and or what to hope for well i think what people are doing is partly useful but i think we do to some extent have to go back and look at the roots of this and one of the roots of this is the destruction of the of the black family in particular and the the american family um right now i'm working on my next piece i hope if all goes well god willing is i'd like to do a piece saying that really one of the silver linings in this is that the enormous leverage that black men could have uh-huh. Black men are, the, in many ways, the canary in the mine shaft. They were the ones that were destroyed by the welfare state. They're the ones in whose name the Biden administration is pushing all these programs for, for you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, anti-racism and so forth. And they're using the death of young black men as the rationalization for these more welfare programs, which welfare programs which destroy black men. And my argument, I think, uh, developing this, I think black men have huge amount of leverage. If they were to stand up and say to the left in no uncertain terms, you don't speak for me. 
you know, we're washing our hands of our past affiliation with the, de- the, the left wing of the Democratic Party. And then, but also to say something kind of similar to the right wing, you know, to the conservative establishment that, you know, you don't necessarily speak for us either. And if you want to start, you want our allegiance, maybe you need to start looking at what, you know, what's been going on with the black family and the family generally. And listen to people like, you know, like Phyllis Schlafly and, um, you know, a few other people um, that have been making this argument for a few years. Um, so, and, and where do you see the, where do you see, we get to the, we get to the roots, we figure it out. I, I think that's interesting. I mean, you know, if there was a, if there was an empowerment of a, a black man and, and maybe as I've been saying, uh, the, the one, the one most obvious, truly, uh, systemic racism is our school system. I mean, you, you might tell me, Hey, the systemic racism exists in the welfare, uh, system too. But, but, um, but so, but are there examples again, uh, where, uh, uh, we get to the bottom of it and then change the dynamic? And I, I think that's the, that's the wild card. I mean, I think you and I could spend, you know, three shows together talking about, uh, elected officials and even public figures who start out with the right instinct, but end up being, you know, relatively useless on actually implementing anything real, right? Very much so. A good example of that. I wrote a piece recently on the Substack, I think, or maybe in the American, it was, it was Governor DeSantis's uh, um, fatherhood program. I mean, it's it's exactly exactly what I'm talking about. He started this fatherhood program. It's got a lot of praise. In fact, what it is, it's nothing more than a throwback to the Clinton administration. Clinton was the one that devised these useless fatherhood programs that did nothing for fathers, achieved absolutely nothing. Uh, The Bush administration then relabeled the programs as healthy marriages. They also did nothing. They paid a lot of money to psychotherapists, uh, basically to implement feminist styles of psychotherapy and impose them on on black families first and then on other families. And, uh, you know, Governor DeSantis is, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, you need to we need to probe behind these things because that his that program he started on fatherhood is just more more of the smoke and mirrors that we get from uh, that we got from the Clintons and the Bushes. When you say uh, uh, that, uh, uh, is there an example in in um, uh, American public life that has actually stepped up into it? Is there a is there a governor you say or a mayor you say, and it doesn't have to be in office now, you know, that stepped up that actually got the uh, got the program and wasn't just uh, sort of playing to the poll numbers? I don't know of any. I don't know of any. Uh, my, my, I'm hopeful about Trump. I'm hopeful. Trump. One of my criticisms is that Trump, in his first uh, term, he never really developed a social policy. Hmm. And I think that could be a big. You know, he didn't have a bad social policy, but he didn't have really didn't have one at all. And I think it's what he. I think the next time around, he could. Uh, you know, he could make a difference in this because he doesn't have an axe to grind in this. He's not. You know, he's not for sale. Yeah. You like him or hate him. Uh, Trump is not, you know, he's not uh, he's not doing the horse trading. He's not part of the special interests. So he he would have the free hand to deal with some of this stuff if he if he developed a you know social policy that would dig a little deeper than he was able to do, the, you know, the first term. Uh, one last question. Dr. Stephen Baskerville is our guest, uh, professor at the Collegium Intermarium in uh, Warsaw, Poland, uh, lectures and teaches all across uh, Europe and, of course, has been a professor in the United States uh, for a long time, especially at Patrick Henry College, where he was a professor of government. And again, his uh, website, stephenbaskerville.com, as well as the Substack, which I'll post up a very, very interesting piece we're discussing. But uh, give me a brief synopsis. We get a little bit of coverage in America. Um, what's happening in places like Poland and Hungary that have a very 
very distinct preference for values that are different than the EU and others. They're in constant conflict. I, the newest one is that I think the EU is supposed to have a rotating presidency and Hungary and Poland are up next and they're going to try to block that. But what, what is the uh, on the ground? What are our uh, communities there in Poland, Hungary, other nations doing in terms of asserting what they want as opposed to what the broader culture is, is, is forcing on them? Well, that's a very good question. And, you know, you, you do see some initiatives coming from, for example, Viktor Orban in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, pretty, he's been pretty strong on programs, especially dealing with issues like national sovereignty and, and immigration. And the polls, too, have done that. Uh, but, you know, they're very much under siege. Both of them are very much, uh, you know, there's only so much they can do when they're outvoted. Um, I think there's probably a lot more sympathy for that um, point of view than we hear about. For example, I know in Romania, where I live, um, many, many people, most people have very traditional values, very Christian values, very, very pro-family values. But the government, the elites of the government and the media uh, and the universities are uh, very much educated and controlled by the West. Um, there's not the, the, the political class is not always very courageous mm. um, in standing up to, to the, you know, the powers that be. Um, the president of uh, Romania for that is, is angling to become the next Secretary General of NATO, oh. um, so he doesn't do anything that you know that that blocks uh, <laughs> uh, the vote. Right. Yeah, and this is this is true of, of other countries too. So you know, even though Eastern Central Europe have this very strong traditions, uh, you know, prevalence of of Christian and family values, it's hard to find leadership mm-hmm. um, like you find in Hungary and and even and Poland. And even there, you know, some of them, the Polish government has done some. You know, they, they do some things that are very pro-family, but they also have, you know, prop programs like like paying money to people to have children, which I think is, you know, it may help, it may not help, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. I think there's other things that could be, you know, that are more, that have more efficacy than, you know, paying children to increase, paying people to increase the population. Um, I think if you create the right political climate um, in, in the legal system, then, you know, people will have the children and, um, you know, give parents the the, the rights and the and the power the authority to you know to raise their own children as they see fit then they'll start to regain other you know civic responsibilities and you'll start getting a you know a citizenship a citizenry that is again um, you know healthy and and, and alive uh, and that's what you need everywhere in the Western world today yeah you need to stand up to the you know to the to the to the rulers and unfortunately it's just it's just not happening in Europe. Yeah. Dr. Stephen Baskerville, thank you for uh, taking the time and writing on this subject and uh, also spending some time uh, with us here. I'll put it all up on social media and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Um, My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll come right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hey, let's do a little. Um, let's do a little. Uh, uh, how to say um, media wrap up? Media wrap up here on the Pro America Report. Uh, and let's do it this way. Two things. Two things became clear in the last twenty four hours. Number one, 
Uh, Tucker Carlson can draw a crowd. Holy cow. Uh, Tucker Carlson did a 10 minute video. He did a recorded a 10 minute video. He posted it on his Twitter feed. And at the last look that I saw, I, I guess it was earlier. I don't know. It was I, last time I looked at it myself with my own eyes. 64 million people had watched it. Now, I think that means that 60 more. Actually, I'm looking at it now. 87 million. I think that means 87 million people went to the tweet. I don't know if they watched the whole thing. I don't really understand. But still, 87 million people laid eyes on a Tucker Carlson video on Tucker on Twitter. Okay, so that's the future there, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that, right? And so now contrast that with over at CNN, where the uh, the guy who runs CNN is now pushed out, and uh, he is gone, Chris Licht. I think it's Licht, Light, L-I-C-H-T. Now, he only lasted about 13 or 14 months. Uh, but by the way, don't feel too sorry for him. I think he was under contract, so he'll get a huge payout. He'll get a huge payout, um, millions and millions of dollars. I mean, if he wants to work again, I think he can. If he doesn't, he probably doesn't have to. And he's in his uh, early 50s, I think. So don't cry too hard for Chris Light. I think it's Light, actually. Anyway, um, but CNN is in chaos. And CNN is firing Chris Light, the head of CNN, in large part because the left decided that Donald Trump was too good on the town hall. If Donald Trump had gone on the CNN town hall and, and been savaged and failed miserably, they would have all said it was a great idea. But because he's so good in that setting, they're mad about it, and they basically fired the CEO. But here's what you need to know on this. In the media world, CNN, that was always an impossible job because there's no coming. There's no turning around now. There's no turning around any of these stations at this point. And for a while, CNN was going to be a kind of uh, digital presence. Their website was one of the top two or three uh, news websites in the world. And then their presence out in the in the community, because they still have the contracts for um, the television stations, uh, excuse me, the televisions, the TVs in airports. If you go abroad, CNN is still on in the hotels. So they, they have a, they had and they have a footprint. Big one. But it was impossible to go back after having become what CNN did. They had become so silly, so over the top. They still are, Anderson Cooper and others, that no one was going to take it seriously. And only the hardiest of the hardy. They're getting like 300,000 people watching their primetime shows. So Tucker's got nine, almost 90 million and they've got 300,000. That's a problem. That's a big problem. It's not going to be solved by who the CEO is. But don't you think that CNN now has to, it's exactly the opposite, to, uh, 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 that CNN has to hire a minority hyphenated woman, I guess, and they have to try to be politically correct. And Tucker just got the gloves off. He was he was telling the truth about uh, wars and about uh, deep state and about UFOs. Wild. Wild shift. All right, we got to run. Thank you to Noah Dingley. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, our producers. Be back tomorrow with Ted Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.
America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.